Hi, I'm Connie Wilkes. I'm Marlene Nelson. I'm Jerry Gropp. And I'm Sherry Spute. And our last names make up the acronym WINGS. We're just four ordinary moms with extraordinary bonds. The Lord gathers us all under His wings as a hen gathers her chicks. And we hope to offer a place to gather for all our friends, family, and all who wish to join us. So welcome to our podcast conversation, Under His Wings. As a little girl, whenever people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I could only ever think of one thing. A mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would sometimes make things up, you know, because other kids are like, I'm going to be a fire (laughs) chief or whatever. And and so I'd copy. Fire fire chief. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And so I'd like, sometimes I'd copy what I want to be a nurse. Um, But just because I thought, you know, being a mom was not an acceptable answer. and But as I grew up, I knew there was nothing I wanted more than to be a mom. And I was raised out in the boonies with one friend as a neighbor when I was little. And as I grew, a, f- a few more people moved in around us, but kind of far away. So it wasn't really close. Like I had a, I could just walk across and play with somebody. And the sister next to me, um, Sherry, is nine years older than me. And so really, I usually felt like an only child. So for the most part, I spent most of my days playing with my kitties and climbing the haystack and dreaming about how when I was a mom, I was going to have lots of kids, so they all had somebody to play with. (laughs) And I just always knew I was going to be the best mom. And you are a great mom and and 10 kids. You accomplished that, girl. They all have a playmate. I remember the same thing, Jerry, when I was in high school, they interviewed me for the school newspaper and asked what I wanted to do after graduation. And so, of course, I said I planned to go to college and get a degree in elementary ed. But for my career, I really always wanted to be a mom. And that degree, that certificate, really was just for fallback purposes. And so then they asked me, well, then how many kids would you like to have? And I said six, (laughs) which at the time seemed huge to me (laughs) and everyone else. And so, of course, that's when the jokes all started around the high school. You know, we you probably should get started on that now kind of thing. I'm like, um, no, <laughs> it's not happening. First things That's first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, and I, I went to college, you know, mm-hmm. started taking psychology. And my child development classes, I knew was I was on the path to knowing exactly how to parent. Right? I knew everything my yep. brothers and sisters were doing wrong. Oh, yeah. We had it figured out, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. We were always the best parents before we had kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, my siblings, they're like a lot of years younger than me. And so I was quite old when I got my patriarchal blessing. And it says in there, nothing will mean more to you than the growth of your children. Well, I had little tiny brothers and sisters. I'm like, no way am I having children. You know, it was like, that was not an exciting little notation that heaven was trying to tell me. I know. I know. It's funny. But now you get it, right? Yeah, now I get it. (laughs) And it's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that day did finally come when they put that baby in my arms and my whole life changed. And then suddenly I felt like I could never be enough or know enough or ever be able to do this right. But oh my gosh, how I loved that precious baby. And you know, I still get a lump in my throat 
and almost want to cry when I think of how full my heart was with love for that little person. All I wanted to do was not screw up. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I remember I did cry. That Those feelings of pure joy, we adopted our first child, and I just remember crying happy tears in that elevator all the way down to the car with that sweet brand-new baby in my my arms. It's just a beautiful experience. And then when he was 10 days old, I found out I was pregnant and really felt, wow, I know <laughs> this is getting serious. <laughs> yeah, because I remember being pregnant with number two. And, and it is, it's serious. But I also worried that I could never possibly love this next child as much as the first. Oh, I Do you guys remember that? Relate. Oh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Yeah. I didn't think child. my heart could expand. No. You know, or I think you do. You sit and think, I'm not going to be able to ever feel the same thing I feel for this first child right. with my second. Right, right. With, you know. I know, and it's amazing until they lay that baby in your arms. And I just remember my heart grew 10 sizes oh. that day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so miraculous to see how our love multiplies. We don't have to divide it between uh-uh. children. Uh-uh. I think I understood Heavenly Father's love for each of us. Right. A little bit it, better. It's just, you yeah. just begin to understand that. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I bet there are a lot of people out there listening that can relate. And I think it's a pretty human feeling to just want to raise good humans and love them And then they're going to love us and we're going to teach them right from wrong. And of course, they will love us and love God and hate wickedness. Mm -hmm. And they will be our best friends and they'll graduate from college and become doctors and save the world. Exactly. And it's simple. It'll all be because we gave them everything they needed to succeed. (laughs) Well, Well, okay. Maybe some people's stories turned out that way. But I want to meet that person. I know. Yeah. <laughs> My kids just have grown up to be normal people. <laughs> Sullen tweens, sassy teenagers, defiant young adults, you know. And for the most part, they didn't play that role. I had them all playing in my mind as this young mom when I was certain I was obeying all the rules of parenting Mm -hmm. and that X would equal Y if I made sure (laughs) and divided by Z. Right. (laughs) Right. And I can't really imagine that there is a parent out there that doesn't have hopes and dreams for their kids. It's just the way of parenting. Mm -hmm. We put our whole heart and soul into it, but sometimes X doesn't ever end up equaling why and we suddenly have a really hard time making sense of just this whole parenting thing yep and so we want to talk about today what do you do when everything you taught and believed in is kind of going out the window with a child who doesn't want any of what you have to give (laughs) (laughs) it's a great question jer by the time my oldest was a teenager it appeared he was not only throwing what i had taught him out the window but he himself was ready to jump out the door (laughs) Uh, my chris he started experimenting with drugs when he was in junior high and quickly became addicted And I know I had many sleepless nights as this child's behavior became more and more reckless. And it seemed like nothing I did or said made a difference. You know, we had him in both outpatient treatments and then inpatient rehabs. There were periods when he knew that I had such a close eye on him at home that he'd then run away so that he could acquire and use the drugs that his body was craving. Well, the police eventually got involved 
as you all remember. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, I remember late at night, whenever I'd get a phone call, my stomach would like drop and fear would just grip my heart as I worried, you know, had he hurt himself or someone else? Was he back in jail? I remembering, I remember wondering, you know, why? Why is he making these choices? Hadn't I taught him better? <laughs> what did I do wrong? You know, by this time I had nine kids and I definitely realized I was far from the perfect parent that I always thought I would be. <laughs> but I still thought that if I loved him unconditionally, used logical consequences, took him to church, had family prayer and scripture study consistently, that all was going to turn out well. And, you know, I think I, most of us expected that all of our children would choose to be dedicated disciples of Christ, or at least that's what we hoped for, prayed for. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, I found myself with a child who was in deep trouble on so many levels. And I found myself constantly worried and pondering, you know, what can I do to help him now? Perhaps some of you listening can relate. And so today we wanted to have a discussion on how we have all come to a place where we can feel peace and hope, even when some of the sheep within our fold have wandered. I know that the first year or two when we were in the depths of the struggle with Chris, the adversary would often fill my heart and mind with fear. You know, I was just so worried what was going to happen to him, what was going to happen to our family, how was this going to affect his his eternities. And I also recognized that the adversary wanted me to feel like a complete failure as a parent. Right. Like, which how we all feel like so mm-hmm. much for all those parenting classes and the books we read, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. I've done Parenting 101, but this child is Parenting 303, and I did not yeah. enlist in that, and <laughs> yeah. I want to take it now. Yeah. I did not get that far. Yeah, I think we've all had those times and those feelings. I mean, I think we all have had children where we have to watch them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I know in our family, we were really, really conscious of one of our daughters, and we really had our arms around her. Not tight, but we wanted to kind of just know where she was Mm -hmm. at all times. Yeah, who she's with, what she's doing, and when she's going to be home, those four W's. Yeah. (laughs) But let me tell you, our whole world rocked one day. When she came in, closed the door, she had her older sister with her. She said, I have something to tell you. And she proceeded to tell us that she was pregnant. She was 17 years old, a senior in high school. And I know my husband and I just sat there. And we just went, what? When? Who? You don't even have a boyfriend. What the heck? You do. You start questioning absolutely (laughs) everything. (laughs) Oh, it is so true. I remember feeling some consolation and hope that maybe I wasn't the worst mother out there when I found this statement years ago by um, Elder Boyd K. Packard, quote, the measure of our success as parents will not rest solely on how our children turn out. That judgment would be just only if we could raise our families in a perfectly moral environment. And that now is not possible. It is not uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. They agonize over rebellious sons or daughters They are puzzled over why they are so helpless when they have tried so hard to do what they should. It is my conviction that those 
wicked influences one day will be overruled, end quote. Mm. And man, I know I sure pray for that. That one day my son will be free from the bonds of the adversary, free from those chains of addiction that really keep him bound and suffering. Addiction is a tough battle for sure. I think it's also important to share the rest of Elder Packer's statement. He said, We cannot overemphasize the value of temple marriage, the binding ties of the sealing ordinance, and the standards of worthiness required of them. When parents keep the covenants they have made at the altar of the temple, their children will be forever bound to them. Yeah, I know I really count on that. I know that to be true. Once I learned that and received a witness of that truth, it definitely has brought me some hope as I've continued to watch this child struggle through the last 15 years. Yeah, and you know, one thing that I have learned to tell myself, especially when we say, you know, how our kids turned out, and I keep telling myself, they have not turned out mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I haven't even turned yes. out yet. And, <laughs> yes. and they won't. And, We're still and becoming. We mm-hmm. are still becoming, and I loved, I, I love that. And Elder Packer talks about that. You know, they're they're gonna. It might be a time when they when they do things we don't agree with and we don't love, but we just have to keep remembering. You know, they haven't turned out yet. They're still <laughs> they're on so the Potter's wheel, right? Yeah, so much yeah, of life they're still, still being, being formed and yeah, developed. Yeah. And the so cement are isn't we. dry. <laughs> the cement isn't dry. Yes. I like uh, it. I like it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So I was reading in the Book of Mormon in First Nephi where Lehi sees a vision of the tree of life. I have read this hundreds of times. This time I caught something that I hadn't noticed before. In chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, it said that he saw the rod which led to the tree by which I stood. Um, then again, he saw the straight and narrow path that led to the tree by which I stood. That caught my attention as to what the tree represents by which he was standing by. Elder Bednar explained it this way. He said, The tree of life was a symbol for the life, ministry, and sacrifice of the Savior. The fruit on the tree is a symbol for the blessings of the atonement. Partaking of the fruit of the tree represents the receiving of ordinances and covenants whereby the atonement can become fully efficacious in our lives. So while others were letting go of the rod or going off the path, he, the parent, was standing with Jesus Christ and partaking of his ordinances. Ah, Marlene, that's so powerful. It says Lehi also mentioned that there was mists of darkness, which we know were the temptations of the devil, that caused many to lose their way on the path. That was to lead them to the tree and to those covenants. Yep. We see that, mists of darkness, absolutely. All yeah, everywhere. All the, yeah. Right, right. And you know, nothing's really changed about the nature of all of those temptations since, you know, Adam and Eve's time. Right. Yeah, I was listening to the Come Follow Me Daily mm-hmm. and a while back, and then they quoted this from Elder Jorg Glenton, but I don't know how to say his name. Klebingot. I don't know. Yeah. Klebingot. <laughs> and this, oh this was so profound to me. He said, God won't force us to do good, and the devil can't force us to do evil. Yep. And so that just, it was so simple. Mm-hmm. Right. 
The adversary is going to always appeal to our appetites, our vanity, and our desire for power. And I like the way Brother L. Whitney Clayton puts it. He said, The so-called modern world represents all of the same old temptations that countless generations before us have confronted. Although today those temptations come with electronic enhancement Mm -hmm. and carried in our pockets. Mm It's mist of darkness magnified by megawatts. Yep. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. It has crazy. Been, it's been interesting as we've been reading a lot about the Old Testament and you hear about all of the things they were tempted by and all the things that they were doing. And it, it, it does. It makes you realize, okay, it's the same. It's the same old, same old. And you're right. It's just magnified so much more. So much more. And the adversary is relentless in his tactics. And our children are facing temptations at a whole new level than we did. And so I think that's what's scary for me. It's like, okay, I don't know this level. I'm not sure what they're facing. I kind of have an idea. But man, I don't think we really, really have a clue. Right. Um, Unless you're right in those halls in the middle of junior high, you know, or whatever. Well, and as somebody pointed out to me the other day, we're the first generation that are having raised kids with these, the smartphones you know, in right their pockets and right then. We didn't mm-hmm. have that experience. No, so it's we didn't. a little harder for us yeah. to and, teach and our, you know where to come from. And I think we just need to to keep being their cheerleaders no matter what. Yeah. No yeah. matter what. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Elder Orson F. Whitney stated, quote, You parents of the willful and the wayward, don't give them up. Don't cast them off. They are not utterly lost. The shepherd will find his sheep. They were his before they were yours, long before he entrusted them to your care, and you cannot begin to love them as he loves them. They have but strayed in ignorance from the path of right, and God is merciful to ignorance. Only the fullness of knowledge brings the fullness of accountability. Our Heavenly Father is far more merciful, infinitely more charitable, than even the best of his servants. And the everlasting gospel is mightier in power to save than our narrow, finite minds can comprehend. Oh, that's so good. I think that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. amen. Amen. Seriously. Well, I remember just talking with my girlfriend just a couple of minutes ago as we were driving up and down the road, and I was telling her what we were going to do today, and she said, you know, I finally had a freedom when I realized and had gotten to the point where I just said, Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. I know they're yours, mm-hmm. and you, you've got this. And it just was a freeing feeling for her all of a sudden. I know. It's uh, just life-changing. And this yeah. just is what he said. Not right. that she's giving up. No. She will be an instrument in the Lord's exactly. hands, but she knows she's not their Savior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is. Exactly. Exactly what I've had to come to. And, you know... As we read the scriptures, and especially the Book of Mormon, it's a story and a record of families from Lehi and Sariah to Mormon and Moroni. We read about marriages, parents, children, sibling rivalries, and yep. and a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Kid, parent, one, some kids trying to kill other kids, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the accounts tell of people who were really, really good. The, the Nephi's, the Helaman's, and the Moroni's of the book. But other characters from the Book of Mormon remind us that even in the best homes and with prophets for parents, things sometimes go quite wrong. For example, Lehi and Sariah had children 
tying each other up and threatening to kill each yep. other. <laughs> and King Mosiah and his wife and Alma Sr. and his wife were caused so much heartache and concern by some of their children who went about trying to destroy the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the Bible, Adam and Eve had the heartbreaking and tragic ending between Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, now that I think about those situations, I'm feeling pretty good about my family <laughs> challenges. <laughs> so, you know, we're all in good company. Even some of the best people and parents struggled with some of their children. Why should we expect to be any different from anybody else and from what the Lord has been trying to tell us you know, for years and years? So if you're experiencing extreme pain as a parent of a prodigal child, it might be helpful to remember parents in the scriptures who similarly suffered and do as they did. Hold on to their children. Hold on to your children with your faith and prayers. Don't give up on them. That's right. I think we have all experienced many ups and downs, moments when we are so proud and moments when we feel like we have been punched in the gut. <laughs> but I, I like what Brigham Young had to say about faith and prayers. Quote, Let the father and mother who are members of this church and kingdom take a righteous course and strive with all their might. If they have one child or 100 children, if they conduct themselves towards them as they should, binding them to the Lord by their faith and prayers, I care not where those children go. They are bound up to their parents by an everlasting tie, and no power of earth or hell can separate them from their parents in eternity. They will return again to the fountain from whence they sprang, unquote. That's beautiful. I love that thought, that no power of earth or hell can separate our children in eternities from us. And there's something else I read that has given me great comfort and hope through the years. Elder Whitney also recorded that the prophet Joseph Smith declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal ceilings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would save not only themselves, but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tread a thorny path. But if it leads them at last, like the penitent prodigal, to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith. Hope on, trust on, till you see the salvation of God. We will put these quotes in our show notes and along with the references as to where you can find them. But I love that thought. It's such a good reminder to us about the importance of living to the covenants that we've made as parents. And you know, really, it puts it, it puts it all into perspective, right? We, we become parents and we think our job is to make our children, we create our children, right? Mm-hmm. We create them into what, what our thoughts and dreams are for them. And it puts it into perspective that that's not our job. Mm-hmm. I, 
we, what's, what's important, it comes back to us and our actions and are not our actions in what we're teaching, but our actions in how we're behaving, Mm. you know, and, and it's different. I mean, I think it's different than what you think you're supposed to do as a parent. From a perspective of us right now, we're raising adult children. So yeah, our job has been that we taught and now our job is to live by what we know. Mm Mm-hmm. And that makes the difference there. But with younger children, we have to teach by word and action. Yeah, true. It's up to us to figure out how to love and obey and keep our own covenants, all the while letting and watching our children sometimes have destructive behaviors that are really hard. But I I don't know. I just love how that it just all really comes back to, to us and our own but we can Our do. own obedience. And one time it came to me, I thought, wow, there's a lot of pride in parenting, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, if my kid is doing this and this right, then that makes me look so good. Mm-hmm. Versus is. what is my why? why? Why do I want them to make good choices and to follow a it's certain path? They're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you read that quote, I just had this big, deep sigh. I was like, ah, oh, Okay. Those divine tentacles of, you know, of divine providence will have that power and that heavenly pull or tug that entices a wandering child to return to the fold eventually. As a matter of fact, Elder Faust puts it this way, and I loved it. Quote, perhaps in this life, we're not given to fully understand how enduring the sealing cords of righteous parents are to their children it may very well be that there are more helpful sources at work than we know. I believe there is a strong familial pull as the influences of beloved ancestors continue with us from the other side of the veil, unquote. And, you know, we want to re- emphasize that we recognize that such influences cannot override the moral agency of a child, but nonetheless can invite and beckon And we also acknowledge that ultimately a child must exercise his or her moral agency and respond in faith, um, you know, repent with full purpose of heart, pay their debt to justice, and act in accordance with the teachings of Christ in order to gain access to the redeeming power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Lord will never take away someone's agency just because their parents have been faithful in serving the Lord, but we can never discount the power of our covenants either. Mm-hmm. And it was really powerful to me when we said, you know, when they said in that quote, the influence of beloved ancestors, mm-hmm. and you know, we mm-hmm. aren't alone in this quest. They no. have just as much invested in our family. And just to know that, ooh, that is really powerful. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And not just our ancestors. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Oh, not just our ancestors. Two yeah. sweet babies. Two sweet babies. Yeah. And those of you who have been listening to our podcast, um, my daughter, my sweet daughter Mackenzie, who was um, pregnant with her twins, they just went back to heaven. So such a hard, anyway, hard time. But I, so I was just thinking yeah, about that. I know, I know. Ministry. Not only not only those that are our ancestors, but those that we've lost right now are there, rooting for us and cheering oh, us on. And, yeah. I like the reminder from Elder Orson F. Whitney that you mentioned earlier, Sherry, and that we need to hold on to our children with our faith and prayers. And I know that's exactly what Alma did in the Book of Mormon. And I know that it's exactly what 
my own husband's mom did. And I shared that in an earlier podcast, but at a really crucial moment in their relationship, and I'm going to say relationship because they really did have a strong relationship, and I think that was key also. But he came home one day. She said the exact same words she's been saying to him, but for some reason it hit his heart differently. And he will tell you that it was his Alma moment. Alma had that life-changing experience too. And I personally take great strength in that story because it shows the power of our prayers. And um, an angel of the Lord appeared to rebellious Alma, the younger, and declared, quote, the Lord hath heard the prayers of his people and also the prayers of his servant Alma, who is thy father. For he has prayed with much faith concerning thee that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, for this purpose have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God, that the prayers of this servant might be answered according to their faith. And this remarkable experience was due in part to the prayers of Alma's father, whom the angel twice recognized as a servant of God. So thus, you know, faithful parents can invite the power of heaven to influence their children. Nevertheless, those children remain agents unto themselves, and the choice to repent or not ultimately is theirs. Alma the Younger, um, he did repent of his sins and was born of the Spirit, the, the outcome of all parents of wayward children yearn for with all of their hearts. Yeah, according to Elder Bednar, he said, as parents are patient and persistent in loving their children and in becoming living examples of disciples of Jesus Christ, they most effectively teach the Father's plan of happiness. The steadfastness of such parents bears powerful witness of the redeeming and strengthening powers of the Savior's atonement and invites wayward children to see with new eyes and to hear with new ears. I love that. And, you know, Connie, that was a good example to me after you said that about Vaughn's mom. I've really thought a lot about that and have tried to do the same. I mean, it it was really helpful in me. Like, okay, even though you say this all the time, keep saying it. (laughs) And so I appreciate that because it has been helpful to me. And so, you know, we know we need to pray in faith. And what else should we do? How should we react when our loved ones choose a different path from the one they've been taught, like we've been talking about? I think first and foremost, as we mentioned here, we should love them. Mm -hmm. Love them unconditionally, no matter where their life choices take them. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I know. I think the love, we say that a lot, but what does Mm -hmm. that mean? Mm -hmm. How do you show that? Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking. <laughs> no, I mean, tell me the answer. <laughs> well, well I, I mean, I don't know. I've I've learned a lot about that in my in in my days. I mean, and we've talked about it in lots of our podcasts. But I think I think getting letting go of the pride is number one. Yeah, I think you cannot have real sincere love when you're feeling prideful thoughts. Yeah. Like you need to behave this way because you're making me look bad, Mister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, or any of it, just the mm-hmm. little tiny things, like, oh, what are people thinking about me? What you have to let go of all of it. You have to be able to <laughs> just in, engross yourself in the Savior and yeah. His healing powers, and and then truly just love and yet listen and yet. There is a responsibility with that love. 
we still have to testify. That's what I was just going to say. I'm still not going to stop testifying. Exactly. You make mm-hmm. the choices yeah. you want to make, but I know that you. I love you no yep. matter what, but I'll still testify of what true happiness is, and I'll still testify. And I think uh, we testify with the scriptures. Yeah. And, and not in a preaching way. No. Yeah. But I know they touch their hearts because they're truth. So what can they say against that? If you say it in the right way at the right time and with prayer with that in your prayer heart. and without pride. Yes. You know, absolutely. With, without the pride of, you know, you need, yeah. you need this. And Jerry, letting go of pride can be hard because, of course, we want people to think we're doing a good job as parents. But if we continue to testify and teach out of love and by the Spirit, you know, not because we want their behavior to change so that we look better but because we truly love them and want them to be happy, I think they're usually going to be more receptive. Yeah, and it it also helps us maintain a better relationship with them. Yeah, so true. I remember when Chris was in sixth or seventh grade, you know, he'd always struggled in school and things were starting to get worse and he just couldn't seem to manage his time or get his assignments in when they when they were due. And we found out, you know, previous to that, that he had a nonverbal learning disorder which at the time was a fairly new discovery. And so teachers really were not equipped or trained to know how to handle that and really didn't know how to help me help him <laughs> either. Anyway, I remember as we started praying about how can we help this child? And Lord, you know, what do you want us to do? I kept receiving the prompting, just focus on the positive. Don't worry about school, just focus on the positive. And at first I remember feeling like, what? Everybody's going to think I'm a bad parent if I don't deal with this school issue, right? Yeah. And I was really questioning, was that really the revelation that I was receiving? But the Spirit just continued to tell me to focus on the good and to let some of the other things go. And so I remember as hard as it was, I let go of my bride and the worries about how this could affect his future and tried to do that, to focus on the good and the positive. And I believe that that revelation probably came because the Lord knew that the choices Chris would be making in a couple of years were going to have far greater negative consequences in his life than not turning in every homework assignment. And he knew we were going to need to have a strong relationship to get through the coming years. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and focusing on the positive instead of always being on his back about something really did help create that bond. Yeah, to build that bond, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, all the struggles that we've went through over the years with Chris, although it was extremely painful and challenging at times, I look back and I really do considered a gift in many ways. You know, when I quit asking the why questions, why is he making these choices? And why, Lord, are you allowing these things to happen in our family when I've tried to do everything you've asked me to do? And instead, I started asking the Lord, what? Mm. You know, what What can I learn through this difficult experience? I, I feel like that's when the peace really started to come back into my life. Oh, yeah. And I learned that these trials really are a great opportunity for growth. You know, he was allowing me to grow in patience and long suffering. 
I was big, being given the opportunity to learn how to look beyond these labels of things like ex-convict or addict or homeless yeah. and not be judgmental or afraid, but approach these people with kindness and respect and love, um, which was a gift. I'm a different person today than I was 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, I would say that learning how to truly love unconditionally has probably been one of the greatest gifts that has come out of this. I, yeah. I will tell you, I, I just really feel like the more we can express our love to our kids unconditionally, but still live our covenants, I can now, like, I know we've talked about this in our past podcasts about, like, really listening to our children as I have come to be able to listen to my kids that have different views than me and really like really, really hear them, not just pretend to listen, mm-hmm. not just, you know, be quiet. I'm like, I'm talking like they know that I'm listening mm-hmm. and they still Validate. know how I feel. Yeah. I can, I can now still testify of Christ in my way, knowing, and they're not feeling like I'm trying to shove it down their throat. They just know that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can, we can always testify, but but learning how to how to truly love unconditionally, it it's a process. It takes time. And it's I not gonna just happen overnight. Right. I really think that when they feel loved, they know they can talk about mm-hmm. everything that's in their heart. Exactly. It's a it's a completely open heart, and that's what real love is, is an open heart. And that exchange is heart to heart, soul to soul. And you're right. You don't have to give up your beliefs for their beliefs. They just have the opportunity to share. And yeah. then, then we can safe. testify. Yeah, it's a safe environment. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, you asked what else should we do besides pray and love. And I believe that the spirit of the Savior's teaching, you know, gives us some additional insight that helps us understand how we should react when our children go astray. We should prepare to leave the 99 and to go seeking the one, like we read about in Luke, and to search the house to reclaim the lost coin, and to welcome home even one who has wasted our goods in riotous living or sold them at the pawn shop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we have four suggestions on how you can do this. The first being seek the Lord. The challenges that come with wayward children are usually complicated and vary from child to child. There's really no one right way to reach them, but seeking help from the Lord through prayer may be the best and really the only way we can obtain the specific direction needed for our situation. And since, you know, that direction doesn't always come immediately, usually doesn't, right? While we wait, we can do just what you talked about, and that's work on learning how to love them unconditionally and finding new ways to express that love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and number two, recognize the Spirit and heed those promptings. Once we have prayed and have received the whisperings of the Spirit, we need to move forward steadfastly. Sometimes the things we feel impressed to do may require faith on our part. Only the Lord knows the full picture. If we are willing to turn our minds and hearts over to Him, we can obtain insight that allows us to take a wise course of action for our child at any given time. Knowing we are directed by the Lord results in great personal inner strength and determination through the difficult times. 
And, and then number three, remember that we're not abandoned. The scriptures are full of hope and peace, that Jesus Christ understood exactly what parents of wayward children may suffer is apparent from his magnificent parable of the prodigal son. And in that parable, the Lord made it clear that we can eventually triumph over almost all obstacles by exercising patience and developing greater wisdom and understanding. And number four, never give up. If you can't seem to reach your daughter or son now, you can at least keep trying and keep loving them. President Joseph F. Smith offered this advice, quote, Fathers, if you wish your children to be taught in the principles of the gospel, if you wish them to love the truth and understand it, if you wish them to be obedient and united with you, love them. However wayward they may be, when you speak or talk to them, do it not in anger, do it not harshly and in a condemning spirit. Speak to them kindly. You can't drive them. They won't be driven. Mm -hmm. This prophetic counsel from President Smith and the doctrines that we've talked about hopefully give all parents hope that they can ultimately triumph if they remain prayerful, helpful, and maintain an open door for their children. And so because we are mortal and cannot see the end from the beginning, when a child wanders, we fret and ache and sometimes despair. But there is hope smiling brightly before us, hope that springs forth from the elevated perspective provided by the power of the gospel covenant. Truly, as the prophet Joseph Smith taught, quote, there is never a time when the spirit is too old to approach God. All are within the reach of pardoning mercy, mm-hmm. unquote. And so we wait, we watch, we fast and pray, and we continue to lift our voices heavenward. And perhaps, most importantly, we continue to love those who wander, and we never, ever give up hope. There is a God in heaven who is our loving, eternal Father, and He lives in a family unit. He also cares about ours. I know Jesus, the Good Shepherd, will go in search of His lost sheep. The Gospel Covenant is broad, deep, and powerfully penetrates through the eternities. I testify, there are righteous forces at work that are beyond our mortal capacity to perceive or comprehend. And so we continue to love, teach, and pray for each one of our precious lambs, always keeping our hearts and homes open to them. And so until next time, may we all stay safely under His wings.